Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by being, making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. If you have a Bible with you, please do open to 2 Peter chapter 3. We'll be reading from there in just a moment. This isn't going to be one of the book overviews that I hear you guys are going through. Um, but these last two verses, we're going to be looking at the last two verses of 2 Peter because that's the book that I've just finished walking through um, back in Greenville. Uh, and these two verses really do encapsulate kind of Peter's heart for his audience that he's gone through throughout this letter. So... Uh, Though it's not a whole book overview, it is a great little encapsulation of his heart. As we prepare to read that, let me give a a picture from an evangelical leader, scholar called D.A. Carson, and how he recounted hearing a Mennonite leader assess their own movement a number of years ago. He said, One generation of Mennonites cherished the gospel and believed that the entailment of the gospel lay in certain social and political commitments. The next generation assumed the gospel and emphasized the social and political commitments. And then that Mennonite leader went on to say, the present generation identifies itself with the social and political commitments, while the gospel is variously confessed or disowned. It no longer lies at the heart of the belief system of many who call themselves Mennonites. The gospel was first cherished, then assumed, and then for many, lost. Friends, I want us to be very aware this morning, Peter wants us to be very aware this morning, that spiritual vitality is not inherited. Each generation, indeed, each individual must engage with Christ afresh. It's such a a process of spiritual decline that that Mennonite leader mentioned. Of course, that's not limited to a particular branch of the church, nor is it a recent phenomenon. In fact, This tendency is something that Peter was aware of and seemed to lay heavy on his heart as he penned the final words of his last known communication to the churches. See, Peter knew his history. He knew that the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, repeatedly turned away from Yahweh, their faithful, redeeming God. Peter knew how quickly rescue, how how quickly people rescued by the mighty hand of God could turn their back on him. From passages like Judges 2, where we are told that after Joshua died, there arose a generation after them who did not know the Lord or the works that he had done for Israel. What chilling words. Just a generation after taking possession of the promised land, 
grandchildren of those who were delivered from 400 years of slavery, and eyewitnesses to the plagues that God brought upon Egypt, those who walked with their own two feet on dry land across the Red Sea. Wonders and wonder worker, both forgotten in such a short span of time. But Peter didn't require a history lesson to know the dangers that would threaten the fledgling church. Peter had spent the majority of his second letter warning against false teachers that had already arisen within the church and had led many astray just a few decades from Christ's resurrection and ascension. He knew only too well that the purity and faithfulness of the church was not something that could just be said on autopilot. Reach life. You, you are in an exciting season as you're about to hit this relocation, relaunch. There, there rightly is a momentum and an excitement as you wait to see what God will do and as you put your hands together in the pile to what he has called you to as a local body. It's an exciting time, but history sounds an alert for us not to become complacent, to not presume that doing well in one season guarantees faithfulness in every season. For both the church at large and individual believers are perpetually at risk from sliding away from the wonder of the gospel. Read with me now, verses 17 and 18 in 2 Peter chapter 3. The apostle writes, You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. With these final verses of Peter's final recorded communication, he encapsulates what his whole letter has been aiming for. Peter is most likely writing from prison just months before his own martyrdom. And so he is very aware his time is short. Many of the other apostles have likely already been martyred. And so he has a burden for the churches that they have seen start and be planted, that they remain faithful because there are voices that are competing for their attention. And so he has urged the churches to remain faithful to Jesus and to live life in light of his promised return. He's countered false teachers that have been gaining an audience within the churches and exhorted his readers to hold fast to the scriptures, hold fast to the Savior. Just before the verses that we read, he highlighted that he and Paul are aligned in their message and in their allegiance to Christ's gospel. 
And so now he closes with these summary verses, imploring his readers to take care, not to be carried away, but to grow in Jesus every day. So our first point is just that, take care to not be carried away. Peter warns us that the errors of lawless people threaten to destabilize us and carry us away. Now, being carried away is a very striking image. The idea of someone taking hold of another person and transporting them somewhere they may not want to go is frightening. The person being carried is at the mercy of the one carrying them. The carrier determines the destination, not the person slung across their shoulder. I mentioned kickball. Uh, I didn't do that uh, in my academic career. It's just a skill I picked up along the way. Uh, but I did play a couple of sports growing up, and my primary sport in high school was wrestling. Not the you know, top rope variety and um, metal chair, but, but the kind where it's just you and an opponent on a thinly padded gym floor facing off against one another. Um, with no weapons, no equipment, the fundamentals of wrestling are all about position and leverage. So if we can go back to the first picture, one of, one of the very first basics they taught us was to keep a, a low, wide base. Uh, what they didn't teach us is, um, as awkward teens how to deal with wearing these singlets all the time. But, but to protect yourself, you needed this, this low, wide base because if you stood upright, you were at risk of a opponent coming in and getting leverage, and then the second picture we saw, and throwing you, um, because you would be off balance. You would not um, have the, the stance, the base that you would need, the foundation. So you need a foundation to defend yourself against the opponent shooting in and attacking your legs to take you down, or worst of all, the third picture, uh, picking you up and carrying you because you are really in a helpless position at this point. And your opponent's goal is not gentleness when you're wrestling. Um, it's to take you down and pin you to the mat. Um, so being in a position where you are vulnerable is not one that we want to be in. We want to avoid being carried away. It's an alarming image in itself. But Peter kind of turns up the reason for concern with who or what is doing the carrying. It describes it as the errors of lawless people. We may be familiar with the term man of lawlessness that appears in 2 Thessalonians and Revelation to identify the Antichrist that will come and seek to bring destruction to the church in the final days. Here, Peter uses the same category, but he's warning of a threat that is both broader and more immediate 
than one eventual individual. For embodying the spirit of lawlessness, we have individuals that are active in every age. It is the spirit of every age to seek glory apart from the Creator, salvation apart from the Savior, and a future apart from the Eternal One. Today's current trends are to proclaim the Bible's morals as antiquated and the churches needing to change with the times. Our current age vehemently defends its rights to choose my own truth and determine my own identity, providing plenty of reminders that lawlessness still thrives and abounds 2,000 years after this warning was penned. Peter's concern for the heart and soul of the church is as important today as it was the day he wrote it. I've had experience in recent years, and maybe some of you can relate. I, I hope it's not been a widespread experience for all that are in this room, but looking at the cultural Christian landscape right now, um, and personally, having seen a number of friends and former co-laborers, some extended family, where I've been discouraged, puzzled, even angered at times as those who were once walking alongside me or alongside us in the church have chosen to follow instead the trend of the day in airing disillusionment with the church and with Scripture as they deconstruct their faith. It's the siren's song of the spirit of the age that remains powerful and seductive. Church, the messages we take in, the voices we listen to, the influences we allow into our homes and into our hearts, they matter. The messaging of our culture is not neutral. And we must not allow it to gain position or leverage in our thinking and in our affections. None of us is immune from temptations to selfishness and lawlessness. The threat of being carried away is real. But Peter's warning also reveals that we are not helpless in this predicament. His warning is to take care that we are not carried away. Highlighting that getting carried off to undesirable destinations doesn't begin entirely against our will. We must take care to not be taken up with such errors and allow them to carry us off. We must guard our minds against error and our hearts against self-serving enticements. According to Peter, we have a choice to make. The final words of this letter find Peter not unveiling some unknown mystery, but reminding the churches of what they already know. It begins, verse 17, 
saying, you already know this. He has mentioned this previously. He's already reminded them in this letter of their foundations and the essential message of Christ and his gospel, of their standing in Christ's righteousness, that they are partakers of the divine nature. So take care not to give in to these competing errors. The truth has been revealed and we must choose whether we will stick with it or whether we will allow ourselves to be carried off. Because, friends, knowing the truth alone is not enough to ensure we will not be carried off. We must remain committed to it. The reality is that in the garden, Eve knew the truth. She knew what God had said, yet chose to listen to the serpent's voice. Because in the moment, his message, his promised destination seemed more appealing. It wasn't for lack of knowledge that she allowed herself to be carried away. And the same temptation has gone out continually ever since. A reality Paul highlights in his broad indictment of mankind in Romans chapter 1, verses 21 through 25. Paul writes, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. The problem is not that the truth of God is impossible to know, but that knowing it, people deliberately choose to believe lies and worship created things rather than their creator. That we insist on going our own way and fulfilling our own desires rather than submit to the sovereign Lord of all the universe. So he gives people over to be carried away. Judgment by receiving exactly what is desired. Separation and independence from God. Beloved, Peter implores, take care. So how? How do we take care not to be carried away like human luggage by the errors and lawlessness of this world that is our temporary home? Well, Peter tells us, take care not to be carried away, but grow in Jesus every day or Peter's phrase, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Friends, we are saved by grace alone. But our faith must grow to keep us from falling on our way home. Continued growth is the aim of the Christian life. And according to Peter here, the way to ensure that we are not carried away. Now, maybe in your church community, my next statement doesn't need to be emphasized. But I have been part of enough Christian communities that I know better than just to assume it. So here it is. Growing in Jesus extends beyond just not doing the bad stuff. Because Christianity is not summed up in the commands, thou shalt not murder, not steal, not bear false witness, not covet. That's not the totality of the Christian life. And I think there's a real temptation in our Christian culture to measure ourselves by the culture around us and mistakenly think that good enough is good enough. Where we are content to not be doing the bad things we see others doing and we stop aiming to grow in being more like Jesus. We get lulled into thinking we are distinct enough from the rest of the world. Surely we've hit the target and can essentially relax in this safe zone until Jesus takes us home. The rich young ruler and the Pharisees of Jesus' day, they would have been great at checking off boxes in a list of things that they weren't doing wrong. Yet they were woefully wanting in the categories of loving God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving their neighbors as themselves. So how do we do in our own pursuit of Christ-likeness? Is it your aim? Is it what you are asking for? Are you asking him for the grace to walk in being more like him? Or has your gaze been directed to other goals? Are you coasting or keeping in step with the Spirit? As you gather and sit in these chairs each week, are you asking God to help you understand and grow and apply or are we primarily thinking about someone else who should hear this message? Do we show up for Sundays and missional communities with the mindset of a spectator or a participant? Do we come into gatherings asking God to use us to serve someone else? Or just looking, expecting to be served? I think it, you're in a great season right now where setting up for the first time. Um, there's elements where it's an awareness that there's all hands on deck. You all need to be engaged and involved. That's a wonderful place to be. Don't take that for granted, but also don't just walk through the motions. Don't do it begrudgingly or just because no one else will. Do it because this is what God has called you to together 
as part of your pursuit of him as a family, as a large missional community. Help see yourselves in the midst of what he is calling you to. Do we come away with a score for the band song selection, the preacher's illustrations, or are we purposefully looking for the next step that God is prodding us to take this week? Do we assume we are too young to be expected to do anything significant for God? Or too old? Or too busy? Or too broken? Are we seeking to grow? Do we really believe that we can look more like Jesus next month, next year? Or have we just given up on that pursuit? Are we assuming the gospel? Or are we cherishing it? Personally, as a professional Christian, a pastor, I regularly have to fight the temptation to not primarily be looking for the next thing to share with others as I spend time in God's Word instead of taking it and allowing it to transform and reform my own soul. I think it's a constant temptation for anyone who regularly has the responsibility of bringing God's Word to bear in our communities. But my continued growth week after week, not just assuming the gospel in my own life, is more important long term for the health of my church than coming to the word in search of what others need to hear alone. And that's true not just for pastors, not just for those who are in full-time ministry, but for parents. Uh, we come to God's Word needing to see what we need to see, not just what our kids need to do to obey. Or spouses, or teachers, or students, all of us need to have this mindset as we come to God's Word. The question is, what call does it have on me today? How can I live out in response to what he has so generously done for me. Whether it's because we are in the word regularly or think there's nothing new in it for us or we just don't have the energy to dig into it, we all need to beware of the danger of simply assuming the gospel rather than applying it afresh to our thinking and our circumstances again today and asking where God would want me to grow in my love for him and for others day by day. Maybe it's a little different here in Asheville, but the context of Greenville is very much one of living in the religious south, the buckle of the Bible belt. It's been a popular place to move in the last couple of years for individuals that are pursuing the social and political environment that such uh, a context creates. But that same environment threatens to become a replacement for the centrality of the gospel. If we focus on the issues 
while simply assuming the gospel. Instead of producing some humble service and love of God and others, we'll see self-righteousness and lines of separation being drawn up. The question for all of us is what does it look like to actively, positively love God and love one another and grow in those things? Are we seeking to grow in our knowledge of love of God? Do you have particular things that you're seeking to do attached to that goal? I know uh, that you have things provided for you um, within your church context to be able to actively be pursuing those things. Whether it's the missional groups, whether it's Friday breakfasts, Bible studies, Bible reading plans, there's opportunities to be growing in our knowledge of God and to be pursuing Him more, to be seeking to grow for love of our neighbors. And as was mentioned this morning, taking invitations to invite and reach out and make sure this isn't just stopping with us, but seeing ourselves as conduits of what God wants to do beyond us. Our Are there specific ways that you're seeking to grow in loving your spouse and your parents, your kids, your siblings, your care group friends, your your, your co-workers, fellow students, your neighborhood neighbors, opposing political party neighbors? The goal isn't just to be good enough Christians. The goal is to be like Jesus. Peter tells us specifically to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and honestly, that, that can sound a bit odd because we know that grace is a gift. So why is he calling us to grow in it? But just as Peter highlighted that being carried away is not an altogether passive experience, neither is experiencing grace in the life of a believer. Yes, salvation is all of works. Or, <laughs> said that wrong. Yep, yep, start yelling. <laughs> salvation is all of grace. Okay, thank you. Not works, so that none may boast. And Peter isn't here contradicting Paul. But he's also not talking about saving grace. We can grow, we can't grow into being more saved than we are at the moment God mercifully brings us from death to life by his spirit, applying to our ledger the finished work of Christ. But we do have the opportunity to benefit from and enjoy more of the transforming effects of Christ's redemptive work and the Spirit's unmerited activity on our journey towards glory. How do we do this? Well, the secret sauce is in the other half of that sentence. We grow in grace by growing in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Not just knowledge in general, but in Jesus. The focal point of Scripture's big story and the defining figure of all of history. The one whose miraculous birth, sinless life, sacrificial death, victorious resurrection, and glorious ascension are rightly heralded as good news, gospel, the essential message, the only essential message for a world without God and without hope. Peter is reminding us that message isn't just our ticket to heaven, but what fuels our growth and keeps the world's messaging from gaining leverage and carrying us away in our daily lives. We need the good news about Jesus to surprise and transform us again and again and again. Author Dane Ortland writes, Jesus is surprising. His coming fulfilled ancient prophecies, but not expectations. He shattered expectations. Each of the four gospel accounts in the Bible uniquely gives us a Jesus who turns upside down our intuitive anticipations of who he is and how following him works like a bad back that needs to return repeatedly to the chiropractor for straightening out, our understanding of Jesus needs to be straightened out over and over again as our poor spiritual posture throws our perception of him out of line, domesticating him and conforming him to our image rather than transforming us to his. Have you noticed as you go through the Gospels, how surprising Jesus is. I, I think we just get so used to the story, so familiar with them, that, that we lose the sense of awe of God walking among us. By how he, he treated someone or did something that didn't quite line up with who we thought. He should be like? Do we continue to try to get to know him better or think we know all there is we need to know about Jesus? We know the stories, but I know I am guilty of often missing the surprise and disruption he caused. And it's, it's really hard to find anyone in the Gospels who isn't surprised in some way by who Jesus was, who Jesus is, and what he came to do. He was different than who people thought he should be. His parents and his brothers, they didn't understand him. John the Baptist had questions. Jesus repeatedly confused and even frightened his closest disciples. Peter tried to rebuke him. The crowds marveled and wondered but couldn't figure him out, ranging from seeking to make him king by force to picking up stones to kill him. Religious leaders thought he was possessed. And when we simply assume that we know all there is to know, like the people of his own day, we can miss and misunderstand all that he is and has come to do. How radically transformative 
the gospel truly is. He's more glorious than our finite, mortal, sin-clouded minds can possibly imagine. His gospel reaches further than any human yet has to plumb the depths of. We will spend eternity being more and more amazed at his character and his goodness. So what does growth in grace look like? I believe Peter would urge us to say it's knowing God more and gaining more and more insight to his wondrous character. That's what opens the door for us to love him more as he truly is. And likewise, it throws open the door to loving others more as we are surprised afresh with the grandeur of his love and generosity, mercy and forgiveness that's defiant of the way we think things ought to be. As we know him better, his character traits will grow in us. Traits like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control. Growing in grace means reflecting more and more the gracious one. Jesus, through the words here of his apostle, calls us to keep going further, deeper in our knowledge and relationships and grace. To resist the urge to just go with the flow. He says, take care to not be carried away, but grow in Jesus every day. As I come to be with you, I'm, I'm encouraged this morning. Because I don't see a complacent church. But I see individuals and a group of people that are seeking to live this out. Seeking to participate, to engage, to grow in relationship with God and one another. And grace through these relationships. You're serving and pursuing community and growth. The, the reality is none of this, none of this gathering and serving and listening, none of it makes any sense in the world's eyes. Not when you could be sleeping in or heading to the lake or the links or to brunch or just avoiding people, catching up on your Netflix queue. This is so contrary to the spirit of lawlessness and of self. Keep going further. Keep growing. Resist the urge to just coast. To just go with the flow. Let us not assume the gospel, but to cherish it. And can I just encourage you to let cherishing the gospel today begin with the recognition that we are all prone to forget and to move on from this essential message that Christ died for my sins. We don't want to just sing Amazing Grace this morning, but drink it in. 
Glad we have the opportunity to do that through communion this morning. We want to take this in and allow it, allow him to transform us because of how radical, how inconceivable this good news of the gospel really is. Who of us could have imagined this whole setup where the God of heaven leaves his throne to come be a creature murdered by those he made so that they might be brought near to him. Friends, if your sins and shortcomings include the ways we've talked about this morning and not pursuing growth and being more like Jesus, not seeking that this week to know him better, to grow deeper with him. For those who feel like you've given in or allowed yourself to be carried off, whether this week or for a season, you've just been coasting, you need to take care. You need to ask for a lifeline. You need to reach out to those that are around you that can encourage you to stay on this path. But you also need to cherish the gospel. That needs to be your motivation. Cherishing the gospel starts not with a promise to work harder and do better, but it begins by being amazed at how he loves me and forgives me, not because of what I've done, or what I will do, but because of who he is and what he's done. He left heaven and gave himself up to be broken for those that preferred lawlessness and selfishness. For those that have gone our own way. For you and for me. May we cherish that good news. May we cherish him. May we allow him to surprise us afresh with his love and love him more in response. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that you have clearly proclaimed your glorious good news that the truth, the reality of who you are is known because you have made it known. Lord, would you help us to take care not to be carried away, not to coast, not to take that gospel for granted or simply assume it. Help us to marvel at your great love and grow in cherishing you day by day. You be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen.